welcome to the reading of The Courier for Tuesday, March 7th. And I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. All right, let's take a look at the news here. On the front page, it says Bill Grants Data Protection Rights. Iowa Senate legislation gives increased control of online personal data. In Des Moines, a bill giving Iowans more control over their personal data online is one step closer to law after passing in the Senate on Monday. The Iowa Senate passed Senate File 262 unanimously on Monday. If signed into law, Iowa would be the sixth state of the U.S. to establish data privacy rights. Senator Chris Cornoyer, Republican of LeClaire, who chairs the uh, Senate Technology Committee, said that the bill is designed to increase protections for Iowa consumers in the absence of a federal law that regulates how companies can collect data. While I expect this is or may eventually be preempted by federal legislation, I would also expect that that we pass here will influence what Congress does in the future and used as a potential model, Cornoyer said. The bill requires companies that control the personal data of at least 100,000 Iowans or 25,000 when half of their revenue comes from selling data to notify consumers of their data collection practices and provide them with the data upon request. Under the bill, consumers would be able to request a company to provide a copy of their personal data or delete the data collected on them. Companies would also need to notify users about the type of personal data that they collect, what they use the data for, and whether they share the data with third parties. If a company sells data or uses target advertising, it would be required to disclose that and allow users to opt out. It includes a raft of exemptions, including data reflected to, or I should say, excuse me, related rather, to health records and, and information collected for research. The bill is modeled after laws passed in states like Virginia and Utah that impose similar requirements on companies collecting consumer data. California, Colorado, and Connecticut have similar data protection laws. The bill was supported by the Technology Association of Iowa, which represents technology-based companies in the state. Molly Ross, the group's vice president of operations, said that the measure would give Iowans control over their data and provide consistency for companies that operate in the state. This is a big step forward in granting Iowans some rights for their data, she said. And also from an industry perspective, it lays some guidelines, sets up groundwork so that everybody is playing within the same boundaries. All right, what else is going on here? Rule would clarify meat labels. It may soon be easier to tell if meat products come solely from the USA. Shoppers could soon find it easier to tell if those grocery store steaks or pork chops were really made in the USA. Federal agricultural officials on Monday released new requirements that would allow labels on meat, poultry, or eggs 
to use that phrase or product of USA only if they come from animals born, raised, slaughtered, and processed in the U.S. That's a sharp change from current policy, which allows voluntary use of such labels on products from animals that have been imported from a foreign country and slaughtered in the U.S., but also on meat that's been imported and repackaged or further processed. Imports of beef from countries like um, Australia, Canada, and Brazil, for instance, account for about 12% of the total consumed uh, in the U.S. Overall, imports of red meat and poultry account for less than 6%, while imports of eggs account for less than half of 1%. U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack said that the proposed rule would better align the labels with consumers' views. A survey commissioned by the USDA found that nearly two-thirds of the shoppers believed that a product of USA label meant that most or all of the meat production steps occurred in the U.S. There's obviously a disconnect between what the consumer's understandings and expectations are and what the label currently is, Vilsack said in an interview. About 12% of all meat, poultry, and egg products sold in the country carry the U.S. origin labels, U.S. Day officials said. The label change was first proposed by President Joe Biden in 2021 and was included last year in a series of steps to bolster the U.S. meat and poultry supply chain. The USDA, the USDA survey conducted last summer included a nationally representative sample of more than 4,800 American adults who do the grocery shopping for their families and who bought beef or pork in the previous six months. More than 40% of the shoppers said that they look for the USA label when buying meat. Marion's water is hard but safe. City draws on aquifer used in Cedar Valley in Marion. Since Tina Stewart, age 45, moved into her Marion home in 2000, she has replaced her hot water heater and her water softener three times each. Her sump pump and garbage disposal have fallen into disrepair multiple times, too. The culprit, she says, the hard water that courses through Marion's pipes and spits out of faucets and leaving it remnants in showers, baths, and sinks. Altogether, Stewart estimates that she and her husband have spent thousands of dollars in related repairs over the years. Even then, she said, they're too scared to drink the city's water. We start buying drinking water because we don't want to drink the water out of our faucets, she told the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Marion isn't the only Iowa town fueled by hard water. In fact, most of the Midwest and much of the U.S. draws on hard water, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Still, the water has left a bad taste in Marion's residential mouths, literally. Some questions the safety of the drinking water, and most complain about the hardness. While Marion's hard water may be an inconvenience, uh, experts have assured it is safe to drink, and for those with the means and motivation, there are solutions. Hard water is definitely, by its high amounts of calcium and magnesium, natural min uh, uh, minerals that are found in the human body, a variety of foods, and certain types of rocks. 
Marion taps into two deep aquifers, the Cambrian Ordovacian Aquifer, commonly known as the Jordan Aquifer, and the Silurian Devonian Aquifer, with wells stretching down hundreds of feet at four main sites. Both Waterloo and Cedar Falls also draw some of their water from the Silurian Devonian Aquifer, according to annual drinking water reports by Waterloo Water Works and Cedar Falls Utilities. The water, which has percolated through rocks over time, has picked up natural minerals like calcium and magnesium and iron, potassium, sodium, and sulfate along the way. Once the water is pulled from the ground, it gets a, sh a shot of chlorine gas for disinfection. Flows from two wells are run through the city of Marion's new $2.8 million iron removal plant that uses special filters to strip excessive iron, which can make untreated water murky. Then the water is sold and sent to the consumers. We're lucky, said Todd Stegelwalt, the general manager of the Marion Water Department. We have affordable water because our treatment process is very, very simple. Marion's minimum monthly charge, which includes up to 1,500 gallons of water, currently starts at $15.25 and will likely increase July 1st uh, to $15.40. Water that tests over 10.5 grains per gallon is considered very hard. Marion's water hardness varies between 18 and 20 grains, which translates to roughly a pound of limestone rock every 350 gallons of water, estimated Mark Dolbitz, general manager of Culligan of Marion, a water treatment equipment supplier. Aside from Cedar Rapids, which pulls its water from shallower wells along the Cedar River, several other communities and private wells in the area draw from the same aquifers as Marion. The water hardness is about the same, said Territory Manager Josh Rodriguez of Culligan. People always tell me when I'm out in the field how horrible Marion's water is. He said, I kind of smile and I usually tell them it's just the water in this whole part of the country. Rest assured, though, hard water is safe to drink. Even more so, experts say, it can be beneficial. All right, let's see what else is going on here in the paper. Waverly Utilities CEO is set to retire. Wenzel has led agency since 2014 and he'll stay on the job until the 3rd of August. In Waverly, Daryl Wenzel, the longtime chief executive officer of Waverly Utilities, is set to retire this summer. The municipal utility announced on Monday. His last day will be the 3rd of August. He moved to the Cedar Valley area in 1992 and has been in charge of Waverly Utilities since 2014. The board will use the coming months to determine its next steps related to finding his replacement, but Wenzel does not expect an interim CEO being named. The Waverly resident declined to provide his exact age but said he's old enough to retire per Iowa Public Employees Retirement System standards and noted that there was no driving factor for his reason to step away this year. I take a lot of pride in our team environment, said Wenzel in a telephone interview. We have a lot of the same responsibilities as the large utilities, and we pull it off with our small staff. All right, let's go to the next page here. 
Okay, we're now in the Cedar Valley section of the paper. Hospital destination for shopping. This is an article for Waterloo area. Boutique vibe draws people to give shop at Mercy One Hospital. First time visitors may wander into the Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center gift shop in need of a com comforting gesture that says, I care to a hospital patient or hoping for the distraction of magazines and snacks. Then they discover how the hospital gift shop has evolved. Flower-filled bud vases, stuffed plush animals, small gifts, get-well cards remain staples, but there's now a definite boutique vibe. Such stylish offerings as home decor items, including decorative pillows, accents, hand towels, picture frames, and accessories like totes, handbags, jewelry, and themed apparel share space with mother and baby gifts, essential oils, cozy blankets, and leg warmers. We really want to bring in exciting and unique items and gifts that you don't find anywhere else, said Julie Palp, gift shop and volunteer services manager. For the past several years, gift shops at both Mercy One Waterloo and Cedar Falls Medical Centers were managed and operated by an independent firm. Last summer, Mercy One resumed management and reopened seven months ago with new inventory. We removed all of the old products and reopened with all new products and vendors, Palp said. The hardest part was getting familiar with a new point-of-sale system. The gift shop is becoming a destination. First-time visitors are usually people who are visiting patients and stop to explore the gift shop. It takes their mind off what might be happening. It's a nice escape, Palp goes on to say. But Palp and part-time coordinator Kathy Stevens are seeing repeat customers who return simply to shop. In addition to a wide array of products, prices are affordable, which adds to the appeal. People are loving the shop, said Ford. Palp agreed. I've, I've not heard one negative comment. All of the feedback has been super positive, she says. At 900 square feet, the gift shop is bright, warm, welcoming, with an open floor plan to allow easy accessibility, says Brandy Reisinger, lead consultant for the gift shops at both the Waterloo and Cedar Falls hospitals. The shop at Mercy, at Mercy One Cedar Falls Medical Center is considerably smaller at 320 square feet, but it's well-stocked. Reisinger left a successful 18-year career as an interior designer to join the gift shops. I was ready for a change, and I really enjoy the research and sourcing new products. I'm using my skills, but in a different way, Reisinger explained, including creative, creating rather visually appealing merchandise vignettes. Products tend to sell quickly with new items arriving daily, so displays are kept fresh. Purses and apparel are best sellers of both locations, pretty much tied for best, Reisinger says. Mercy One Apparel is snapped up by employees, Palp says. Our staff loves coming in here to shop. Employees work long shifts, and it's hard to find time to shop. They come down here because it's fun, convenient, and we have some great items. Kirkwood Truck Training Comes to Hawkeye. 
Class A licensed earners at CR School will learn to drive at HCC Center in Waterloo, Kirkwood Community College will soon be sending its Class A commercial driver's licensed students to Hawkeye Community College Regional Transportation Training Center. While there, they'll receive behind-the-wheel instruction as part of a decision to phase out the training on the Kirkwood campus in Cedar Rapids. Kirkwood students will still attend the college's lectures online, but part of its cost-cutting measures led to a decision to end the behind-the-wheel portion of the training at the conclusion of classes in May. While these changes will provide a necessary reduction in costs for Kirkwood, they will also have other major benefits for both colleges. Jasmine Almoyed, VP of Continuing Education and Training at Kirkwood said in a news release, first the move will allow us to devote more resources to our CDLB program, which is an area of great need in our regions. And at the same time, We'll be sending our CDLA students to Hawkeye to take advantage of their top-notch facilities and equipment rather than both colleges competing for a shrinking pool of students. It's a great example of two public institutions working together to be more efficient while ensuring the future solvency of a program that provides a crucial service to our communities. It's good for Cookward, Hawkeye, and perhaps most of all, Iowa taxpayers. Class A and B commercial driver's licenses differ based on the weight and type of vehicles driven. Class A licenses are always needed for trucks like semis, towing trailers with gross vehicle weight ratings of 26,001 pounds or more, including trailers weighing more than 10,000 pounds. Class B licenses are for single vehicles and those towing a trailer of less than 10,000 pounds. These could include school buses, dump trucks, and straight trucks. Hawkeye CDLA program is competency-based, allowing students to progress through trainings as they master the content. Students will be taught on Hawkeye's virtual driving simulators, allowing them to learn controls, gauges, vehicle systems in a way that takes the pressure off making a mistake in a real truck. Once students are ready to get behind the wheel, they utilize new state-of-the-art, full-size, automatic, and 10-speed manual transmission semis on the driving range. It's the second time Hawkeye has reached an agreement with another college relative to sharing its CDL training facility. The first was the Northeast Iowa Community College. All right, what else is going on here in Waterloo? Jail sentence handed down in casino assault. Man to serve 120 days in Isle Casino incident. In Waterloo, a Waterloo man sentenced to jail for attacking a man who used his wife's casino loyalty card to play slot machines in 2021. Prosecutors had sought a year in jail for Diamond Jamar Williams Sr., age 46. The defense asked for time served, 68 days, but Judge Melissa Anderson Sieber on Monday, handed down a year in jail suspended to 120 days behind bars to be followed by two years of probation. Williams was also given credit for the 68 days that he's already served. I find the facts of that assault are very egregious, she said. 
Authorities said that Williams attacked Montana gun husks after staff at the Isle Casino Hotel Waterloo determined that gun husks had been using a player card belonging to Williams' wife that had been left in a slot machine. Williams knocked gun husks to the floor, continued to punch and kick him for 25 seconds before breaking off the attack, said Assistant County Attorney Brad Walds. Gunhaus suffered broken facial bones, and he lost sight in one eye following the assault. During Monday's hearing, Williams said he was sorry. I truly do apologize. This was a, an isolated incident. I'm not a violent individual, said Williams, who had worked with people with disabilities before the incident. That was outside my character. He said he was frustrated because he thought casino staff weren't listening to him when he reported the loyalty club card had disappeared. Anderson Sievers suggested that Williams use his time in jail and on probation to determine why he lost it that night. Williams had been charged with willful injury causing serious injury, a felony. During a January criminal trial, a jury found him guilty on the lesser charge of assaulting causing bodily injury, essentially finding the state didn't prove that the blindness was a result of the beating. Gunhus appeared for Monday's sentencing hearing, but had to leave for an appointment after it was delayed. He won $1.7 million judgment against the casino during a civil trial in 2022. Okay, also in Waterloo, Davenport woman charged in truck theft investigation. A Davenport woman has been arrested in connection with two trucks stolen from a Waterloo business in October. A pair of Chevrolet 3500 work trucks and an, an Alum line trailer were reported stolen from the R.C. Woollett Company facility at 340 Liversey Road on 23rd of October. The trailer was later discovered at an Evansdale truck stop. One truck was found damaged in Cedar County and the other was parked at a West Branch convenience store. On Thursday, 30-year-old Brianna Lee Moss was arrested for first-degree theft in the case. Bond was set at $10,000. Moss is also awaiting sentencing in an October 2022 Davenport case where a hole was drilled in a Cadillac Escalade gas tank in an attempt to siphon gasoline, according to court records. Armed intruders break in at Cedar Falls Mobile Home. In Cedar Falls, police are investigating an armed break-in at a Cedar Falls mobile home Sunday night. Details weren't available, but authorities said that two people, one armed with a handgun, forced their way into a mobile home at 700 West Ridgeway Avenue around 7 p.m. The intruders were looking for a resident and left when they determined that the person that they sought wasn't there, police said. No injuries were reported and no arrests have been made. Okay, let's look at uh, Metropolitan Briefs here in Waterloo first. Waterworks closes early on Tuesday. In Waterloo, the Waterworks office will close at 2.30 p.m. today due to staff training. They will open regularly scheduled business hours on Wednesday. For those who need to make a payment, the after-hours depository box will be available as well as a drop-off payment location 
at the Crossroads and Logan Avenue Hy-V. Payments can also be made by phone or online. You can call 855-282-7625 to pay by phone or visit waterloowater.org to pay through the website. Fish Fry is Friday at CF Amvets in Cedar Falls. Amvets Writers Chapter 49 will host a fish fry on Friday beginning at 5.30 p.m. until gone at Amvets Post 49, 1934 Irving Street. The cost is $13 per person, and the all-you-can-eat menu includes fries or baked potato, coleslaw, and dessert. Dine-in and carry-out is also offered. Fish fries are also planned at 5.30 p.m. March 24th and the 7th of April. Volunteers sought at Fontana Center in Hazleton, Buchanan County Conservation Board will host a volunteer workshop at 9 a.m. on the 18th of March at the Fontana Interpretive Nature Center. The one-hour workshop is for anyone interested in serving as a conservation volunteer. Volunteers can be animal ambassadors, campground hosts, nature center hosts, and truck native bluebird nestling box, nesting boxes. The workshop is for newcomers and seasoned volunteers who want a refresher. To register, just call the Nature Center at 319-636-2617. You can also email at bccbsch-edulin-g at gmail.com. Or you can also visit the BuchananCountyParks.com. Dementia Friends Session Planned in Waterloo. A free Dementia Friend Session will take place from 10 to 11 a.m. on the 23rd of March at the Waterloo Public Library at 415 Commercial Street. The session will increase knowledge about dementia, learn what it's like to live with the disease, and teach helpful tips for communicating with someone with dementia. Dementia Friends is a global movement changing how people think, act, and talk about dementia. Developed and proven successful by the Alzheimer's Society in the United Kingdom, the Dementia Friends Initiative is now underway in Iowa and across the U.S. No registration is required. For more information, you may email Nora, and I will spell her last name, K-L-E-M-E-S-R-U-D, at N. K-L-E-M-E-S-R-U-D at N-E-I 3-A dot O-R-G or you can call 319-239-2902. And beef and noodle dinner on Saturday in Waterloo. A beef and noodle dinner is from 4 to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday at St. Paul's United Methodist Church. And that's at 207 West Louise Street. The cost is $11 for adults and $5 for children under 12. The meal includes beef and noodles, potatoes, coleslaw, beverages, and choice of dessert. The church is located one block south of Unity Point Health Allen Hospital. All right, we're going to move on here now. Uh, let's take a look, see what else is going on here in the uh, Iowa Cedar Valley section of the Courier. 
Okay, let's take a look here. Former GOP candidate joins Board of Regents. Former congressional hopeful Robert Kramer appointed by Reynolds. Governor Kim Reynolds on Friday re, uh, reappointed two regents charged with governing Iowa's public universities and named one new appointee to the nine-member board, former Republican congressional candidate Robert Kramer. Kramer, who serves as president and chief administrative officer of Road Construction Company, Kramer and Associates in Grimes, in 2014, ran to represent Iowa's third congressional district in the U.S. House. He lost the Republican nomination to David Young, who served in the U.S. House from 2015 to 2019 and now serves in the Iowa House of Representatives. Kramer, if confirmed, would replace Nancy Botegger on the Board of Regents, shifting its gender balance to five men and four women. Botegger is among three regents with terms expiring in April, including Nancy Dunkel and Sherry Bates, both of whom were reappointed on Friday. Bates' appointment is her third after former Governor Terry Branstad chose her to fill the unexpired term of Nicole Carroll in 2014 and reappointed her to serve a full six-year term in 2017 when both Dunkel and Botegger were appointed to their first term, terms. Dunkel's reappointment keeps her as the sole Democrat on the board, which Iowa law mandates must have both gender and political balances. Bates is among three registered as independents, including the board's student representative. All right. Uh, we are coming up, up to the half hour here, and I want to remind you that you are listening to the reading of the Courier, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled, and I am your host, narrator, Peter Welch. And yes, we do have some uh, obituary news here. Let's take a look at that. Frederick Tegtemir of Cedar Falls has passed at the age of 84, and uh, he was at the Dairy Suites at Western Home Communities. Um, services uh, will be at 10.30 a.m. on Friday, March 10th, at 10, uh, March 10th, 2023, at Lock at Town Park, where military honors will be accorded, and burial will be at the Garden of Memory Cemetery. If you want more information, you can go to www.lockfuneralservice.com. Earl Steimel, age 93 of Waterloo, passed away on the 3rd of March at Mercy One Medical Center. He was a resident of Lakeview Lodge Friendship Village, Waterloo in Iowa. There's no additional information about when uh, a service, a funeral service, will be held for Earl. Cynthia Youngblood, uh, age 62, has passed away at the Unity Point St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids. Public, public visitation will be with the family will be held from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Tuesday, the 7th of March, at the White Funeral Home in Jessup. Memorials will be directed to, uh, to pulmonary fibrosis research at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. Online condolences may be posted at https colon forward slash forward slash white dash m h o p e dot 
Com. And Christopher Weber, age 49, has passed away. Regarding memorials, may be directed to the family. Online condolences may be left at www.haggerty way. Uh, I'm going to spell this C H O F F G R A R U P dot com. Okay, let's go back to the uh, to the paper here. This is we're going to continue now on the Iowa Cedar Valley section of the Courier. Police shooting sparked gang killings. Court doc links deaths at educational program to online mockery. Two gang members charged in the deadly shooting at an educational program for at-risk youth in Des Moines appeared to be seeking retaliation after a rival gang member rapped dismissively about a fatal police shooting, new court documents suggest. The details disclosed and applications for such warrants connect the two Iowa shootings as well as one in Arizona for the first time. All told, four people died in the complicated jumble of interconnected violence, some of it gang-related. Handguns, ammunition, and marijuana were uncovered when the warrants were executed last month at properties associated with Brown Michael Tooks. Braven Tooks and Preston Walls are charged with first-degree murder and other counts in the January 23rd shooting at the Starts Right Here program which provides help to students through a contract with Des Moines Public Schools. The tragic chain of events that led to the double homicide started in November when Braven Tooks' brother Brandon Tooks, a 23-year-old former Des Moines high school football star, was fatally shot in the Phoenix suburb of Glendale. The family was devastated, and one day after Christmas, Des Moines police responded to a disturbance involving Braven Tooks' half-brother, 16-year-old Travante Jenkins. A report released previously said that the teen told the officers, I want to be with my brother, before pointing a gun at officers. The officers, who had been urging the teen to put down the weapon, then fired multiple times in a fatal shooting that the Iowa Attorney General's office was ruled was justified. The police department had previously declined to name the teen, citing state confidentiality laws for juveniles. Jenkins was identified by name for the first time in the warrant application. Rival gang members responded in the fatal police shooting by making disrespectful comments about Jenkins and his fellow gang members on social media. The warrant application goes on to say, violence between the city's gangs had been on the rise already with a shooting that killed one teen and wounded two others last spring outside a Des Moines high school also blamed on a gang dispute. On the 15th of January, the 19-year-old Braven Tooks, who had a well-documented history of gang involvement that dated to at least 2020, posted a picture of himself on Facebook with an ominous caption. The warrant application said, I don't want no peace. I want to see dead bodies because my little brother died and I, want, and, and I want the same for everybody. The caption read, the next day, Rashad Carr, a 16-year-old rival gang member, posted to YouTube a video of him rapping that referenced various shootings, including the police shooting death of Braven Tooks, half-brother, the warrant said. Think y'all could diss us before real, Carr said, mocking the gang for crying. Threats of retaliation spiked on social media 
in the following days, the warrant application said. And within a week, Carr and Janoni Demeron, who was 18, were killed inside the Starts Right Here program. The program's founder, Williams Holmes, who was also known as Will Keeps, was wounded trying to intervene but survived. The program temporarily closed, reopening just last week. Court documents allege that the Braven Tooks was the uh, getaway, uh, getaway driver at Walls, who is 18, was the gunman. Neither has entered a formal plea just yet. The warrant application also describes for the first time that Damron was armed. It said that Damron fell to the ground after he was wounded in the first round of gunfire. Surveillance video showed him trying unsuccessfully to pull something from his waistband before Walls shot him several more times. A handgun later was found concealed in Damron's waistband, according to the document. Okay, let's see what else is going on here in Des Moines. Nomination sought for Iowa Conservation Farmer of the Year. In Des Moines, nominations are now open for the 2023 Iowa Conservation Farmer of the Year. This prestigious annual honor is given to an Iowa farmer who has demonstrated an exceptional commitment to environmental stewardship and leadership. The statewide award and nine regional awards are co-sponsored by the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship and the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation. The grand prize winner will receive the use of a new John Deere six-utility tractor for one year. One nominee will be selected by each of the Iowa's 100 soil and water conservation district offices. These individuals will be considered for regional conservation awards. Nine regional award winners will compete for the title of Iowa's Conservation Farmer of the Year. Iowans can nominate a deserving farmer by writing a 100-word letter describing the individual's long-term commitment to soil conservation and water quality. Nominations are due by the local SWCD by the 12th of May. The state winner will be announced at the Iowa State Fair. The winner will receive the keys to the tractor during the Conservation Districts of Iowa annual meeting scheduled for August 28th and 29th in Ames at the Gateway Hotel. UNI students grab gold at advertising awards in Cedar Falls. UNI students won a prestigious gold ADDY award at the AAF Cedar Valley American Advertising Awards dinner the 24th of February, adding an additional accolade earned by their Quest With Me creative campaign. Uh, campaign, excuse me, developed last spring for Meta as part of the National Student Advertising Competition. The award was in the student category of cross-platform integrated consumer campaigns and included samples of the video ads, TikTok ads, uh, programmatic display ads, experimental activations, and campus brand ambassador swag that the students produced. The campaign's creative strategy was based on primary research, finding unpurchased behaviors and attitudes towards virtual reality and the Meta Quest 2 VR headset. Students also developed a media plan and scheduled strategically allow, uh, allocating Meta's campaign budget to appropriate channels to reach and engage with their tar target audience. The cohesion of the campaign and all the intricate ideas played a big part 
in winning the ADDY, said marketing major Madison Tenholzen, who served as director of accounts and strategy for the teams. Everything in the campaign had meaning and purpose that was all backed up by in-depth research. Winning again with this campaign was very validating in how well the campaign was actually executed. All right. Now, here is a subject that I think a lot of us uh, wonder about. And it's uh, the, the article. First of all, this is in the health section of the paper. And this is about something that affects every one of us. It's called daylight saving time. And the, what they're calling this article, though, is daylight sleeping time. The dark side of changing clocks and some tips for making it better. Because you and I and everybody are affected by that one-hour difference. The one thing you can remember um, when setting your clock, uh, for the spring, you say spring forward. And in the fall, you say fall back. That's how I remember anyway. Okay, let's take a look at the article here. On March 12th, most Americans will observe the start of daylight savings time and spring forward, as I just mentioned a moment ago, by setting their clocks one hour ahead. The exceptions are people living in Arizona and Hawaii. DST lasts from mid-March until early November when the clocks turn back an hour and return to standard time. During DST, people can enjoy more time in the sunlight in the evenings. But that convenience comes at a price. That hour, one hour change may not seem like much, but it can wreak havoc on people's mental and physical well-being in the short term. Says Dr. Charles Sizzler, professor of sleep medicine at Harvard Medical School's Division of Sleep Medicine. Go toward the light. Research su suggests that changing our clocks twice a year can have various health consequences. Of the two, springing ahead one hour tends to be more disruptive. That hour change can upset our circadian rhythm, the body's natural 24-hour cycle regulating key functions like appetite, mood, and sleep. Circadian rhythms largely depend on light exposure. The hour transition in the spring initially causes darker mornings and lighter evenings. Less morning light can decrease levels of the mood-boosting hormone serotonin. In contrast, exposure to light later in the evening can delay the production of melatonin, the hormone, the hormone that helps you fall asleep. Many people also have trouble adjusting their sleep schedule to the new time. For the first few days or even a week, they may go to bed later or wake up earlier than usual, which can cause sleep deprivation. One study found that the average person gets 40 minutes less sleep on the Monday after DST begins, compared with other nights of the year. Disrupted sleep can cause people to be fatigued and groggy and less focused, Sesler goes on to say. This may explain part of the 6% rise in car accidents following the springtime change, according to a 2020 study in the journal Current Biology. Poor sleep caused by daylight saving time can exacerbate existing problems like depression, anxiety, and seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD. Is the end of daylight saving near? Well, present-day daylight saving time was officially adopted in 1966. Proponents believe that the semi-annual time change means people can enjoy outdoor activities longer, save energy by using less electricity for lighting, and perhaps have a positive economic impact. 
But daylight savings time has its critics as well. A 2022 poll found that 61% of Americans favored ending daylight saving time. Also, many sleep experts say that evidence strongly suggests that staying on standard time all year is healthier. A bill to eliminate the time change has been introduced in the past three congressional sessions, but has not yet made it into law. It remains to be seen whether legislators will reintroduce that. Now, here are some uh, other tips regarding um, the effects of daylight savings time initially. And this is called prepare for the switch. People can take steps to make the hour change less daunting to their bodies and mind. And Sesler offers the several different approaches. And here they are. Alter your bedtime. About three days before the time change, go to bed and wake up 10 to 15 minutes earlier than usual. The next night, aim for 20 to 30 minutes and then 20 to 45 minutes on that third night. By the end of this period, your body would have adjusted to that lost hour and you won't have the stress of trying to quickly catch up on your sleep, Sesler says. Another tip, take afternoon naps. If you feel tired in the afternoon with daylight savings time starting, take scheduled midday naps for 20 or 30 minutes, napping longer that can make you feel even more groggy. Get more light. During the first week after the time change, try to get about 15 minutes of exposure to morning light, which can help maintain your circadian rhythms. Another option is to use a light box that produces a bright white light. Choose a light box with 10,000 lux exposure. Lux is a measure of light intensity. Sit about 12 inches away for up to 30 minutes. Keep your eyes open. That's key. But don't look directly at the light. Spend the time reading or writing or just being present. Here's another tip. Delay your day. For several days after the time change, postpone beginning your daily routine for one hour. For example, if you go to your morning walk at 8 a.m., wait until 9 a.m. Your internal clock is still running on an hour behind, so you give it a chance to adjust, Sesler says. Gradually shorten your short time by 10 or 15 minutes within a week. Your body clock should be reset to the new time. Curb the alcohol and the caffeine. Cut back on drinking alcohol and caffeinated beverages several days before and after the time changes because they can also disrupt your sleep. Well, these are all great tips, except I have a question. What if you have to get up and go to work? <laughs> a little hard to get, to, get, to get a nap in, isn't it? Well, it's still good advice, though, and uh, something to think about. All right, what else is going on here? Let's take a look at the nation and the world. Uh, this article is uh, a federal budget column, and this is a proposal. And it says Biden floats tax increase. President's plan would target people making over $400,000 a year. In Washington, with a, an eye on 2024, President Joe Biden will showcase his election year budget plan this week and must win Pennsylvania rather than the usual White House setting. Biden's trip to Philadelphia on Thursday is a sign that the president's budget proposal is part of a bigger political push to connect with voters. He's telling them that taxes on the wealthy can reduce federal deficits and spare cuts to programs, popular programs, such as Social Security and Medicare. 
The White House budget plan will be a what-if document aimed at telling voters what the federal government could do if Democrats were solidly in control of the White House and Congress. Right now, the Republicans' majority in the House opposes almost all of Biden's ideas. Biden hinted in a Monday speech that tax increases on the wealthy will be at the core of his budget plan, saying that he will be uh, proposing a tax that targets billionaires. Much of what we're doing is about your right to be treated fairly, with dignity and with respect. Biden goes on to say in his remarks to the International Association of Firefighters, part of that is making a tax system that's fair. We can all make these improvements and still cut the deficit if we start making people pay a fair share. Democrats and Republicans are jockeying to show the public who is the most fiscally responsible. It's a key test to the White House and Congress will need to agree to lift the government's borrowing authority at some point this summer, or else the government could default and send the U.S. economy into a severe recession. Biden laid the groundwork for his upcoming budget in the State of the Union address last month and in other recent speeches. He's pledged to trim deficits by a combined $2 trillion over 10 years, strengthen Social Security and Medicare, raise taxes on people earning more than $400,000. His proposal is in some ways far more ambitious than what he proposed in 2021 when his budget would have reduced the debt by $1 trillion over 10 years relative to projections. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, has called for putting the country on a path to a balanced budget while leaving Social Security and Medicare untouched. But McCarthy has not explained how the GOP could do that. House Budget Committee Chairman Jody Arrington, Republican of Texas, put out a list of more than 700 and $50 billion worth of possible spending cuts in February. Atop the list was repeating Biden's executive order providing some student debt forgiveness. All right, let's see. Let's take a look now at the News Digest part of the paper. Leader condemns possible poisonings in Dubai. Iran's Supreme Leader said Monday that if a series of suspected poisonings at girls' schools are proven to be deliberate, the culprits, the culprits should be sentenced to death for committing an unforgivable crime. Okay. Oh, and Iranian officials also acknowledged them in recent weeks and provided no details on who might be behind the attacks or what chemicals might have been utilized or used, if any, were used at all. Unlike neighbors, Afghanistan, Iran has no history of religious extremists targeting women's education. FBI seeks capital riot defendants. The FBI is searching for a, a Florida woman who was supposed to stand trial on Monday on charges stemming from the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack, as well as another riot uh, defendant who went missing, officials said. A federal judge in Washington issued bench warrants for the arrest of Olivia Pollack and Joshua Hutchinson III last week after the court was notified that they tampered with or removed the ankle monitors that tracked their location, said Joe Boland, a supervisory special agent with the FBI's Lakeland, Florida office. As of Monday, the FBI had not located either of them, Boland said. 
Olivia Pollack of Lakeland is the sister of another January 6th defendant, Jonathan Pollack, who has seen, who has been, I should say, on the lam for months. Olivia Pollack and Hutchinson were arrested in 2021, charged in a five-person indictment with assaulting law enforcement and other crimes. Okay, let's see what else we got. Reparations. South Korea took a step toward improving ties with traditional rival Japan on Monday, announcing a plan to compensate Koreans who performed forced labor during Tokyo's control rule that doesn't require Japanese companies to contribute to the reparations. Missing Americans. Gunmen kidnapped four U.S. citizens who crossed into Mexico from Texas last week to buy medicine and got caught in a shootout that killed at least one Mexican citizen. U.S. and Mexican officials said on Monday the four came under fire on Friday shortly after entering the city of Matamoros from Brownsville, Texas, near the Gulf Coast, the FBI said. An update on that uh, particular news piece, two of those citizens were found dead. Uh, or shot to death. Turbulence death. A business jet may have experienced problems with its stability before severe roughness caused the death of a passerby by National Transportation Safety Board said on Monday. The agency initially reported that the plane experienced severe turbulence late Friday afternoon. Three passengers and two 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 crew members, I should say, were aboard. Planes touch. Two flights scheduled to, to depart from Boston Logan International Airport on Monday morning made contact with each other near the gate area. Federal aviation and air, airport officials said no injuries were reported. A tow tug was pushing a Boeing 737 when its right wing struck the tail of another Boeing 737 parked at a neighboring gate, according to the Federal Aviation Administration. Flight returned. A Southwest Airlines flight to Florida from Cuba was forced to turn back on Sunday after it struck birds that caused an, an engine to catch fire and fill the cabin with smoke. The airline said on Monday no injuries were reported on that. Pakistan, a suicide bomber on a motorcycle, rammed a police truck Monday in a Pakistan's rest of Southwest, killing 10 police officers, wounding 12, authorities said. The newly formed Tariq-e-Jihad military group claimed responsibility for the attacks uh, hours later in a statement. And briefly in our last story, more than 20 arrested on terrorism charges, people in masks attack Um, a site of new police training center. In Atlanta, more than 20 people from around the country faced domestic terrorism charges Monday after dozens of young people in black masks attacked the site of a police training center under construction in a wooded area outside Atlanta, where one protester was killed in January. The site has become the flashpoint of ongoing conflicts between the authorities and left-leaning protesters who've been drawn together, joining forces to protest a, protest a variety of causes, among them people against the militarization of police, others who aim to protect the environment, and some who oppose corporations who they see as helping to fund the project through donations to a police foundation. And that does it here for the reading of The Courier here for for Tuesday. 
and this is the 7th of March, and I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and I want to say thank you for you listening to me today, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Thank you so much. Take care. We'll talk again. Bye. <music>